God, we exalt you because you are holy. <clears throat> we live in a world full of people who demand to be noticed and heard and paid attention to, and yet, God, you are the only one to be worshipped and glorified and praised, and it is an honor and a privilege to gather to do just that. You are our creator. You are a redeemer. You are the one who has provided for the payment of the penalty of the sin that we are all guilty of. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And God, we do worship you and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It occurred to me earlier uh, today, and I was going to say this at the 8.30 outside, and I forgot. I brought it with me. We're going through this series of Acts, and so uh, we got these journals. And they're really cool because the text of the journal is on one side, and you can take notes on the other. Uh, if you don't have one, I'd encourage you to get one. But maybe, maybe you're not even quite at that point yet. Maybe this whole church thing is brand new to you. If that's true, we would love to give you a Bible. It's called a New Believer's Bible. Pastor Patrick is in back. He would love to put one of these in your hands, talk to you about it. He's waving in the back corner, taking care of our online audience. Uh, he'd love to put one of these in your hands and even walk you through a little bit of it, how it's laid out and how it is that you could get the most out of it. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, we would love to give you a Bible. Uh, we, we're talking about this series that is the book of Acts. And when I started it, I, I said that Acts is really cool because, hey, you know, my, my idea was it kind of reads like a Marvel movie, and I think that's pretty cool. Uh, there's just so much action, there's so much drama, there's so much real life. But the thing that I don't want you to forget is that it really happened. It's real. It, it isn't a story, it's history. And if, if the his story is someone's story, it's God's story at work among people on earth. And the thing that's so cool and the reason that we're giving it so much time is the book of Acts wasn't meant to just happen at one point 2,000 years ago. And then the church was kind of on its own after that. We have the opportunity to not just read it and to study it, but to be a part of the next ongoing chapters in the book of Acts as God continues to grow the church on earth. And to me, that is just incredibly exciting. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in chapter 5, starting in verse 12. What we're going to see is what happens when people act out in faithfulness and obedience. What happens when people realize that Jesus is real and the things that are happening around them can't be explained any other way? And what they decide to do is they go and tell their friends, they go and tell their neighbors, they go and tell the people they worked with. And the, the response is that more and more and more people want to hear about this Jesus and see these things that are happening by the apostles. It's a real life example, a real life look. And what happens when people just like you and I, ordinary people, meet Jesus in such a way that we can't be quiet about him anymore, that we've got to talk about him. We've got to talk about who he is and what he's done for us. And we go and we share that with people and they say, you know what, I want to spend some time with him too. I want to meet this guy that you talk about. And what we've got is this opportunity to invite people into a life-changing, transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. And it isn't because of who you are, because of who I am, or because who we are as a church. It's because of who Jesus is and what he's doing among us. So let's get into it. Chapter 5 of the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira have just been a part of this church. And now remember, what we've read so far is that the church had everything in common. They were united. 
they were of one heart and soul. And the only way that that can happen in the world, the only way that it can happen in the church, for a group of people at this time, there was 8,000 of them. The only way that that can happen is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because people on our own, we find differences and divisions and arguments and petty, petty this and petty that. And we end up being split apart from each other. But it said that this church had everything in common and that they, they gave graciously to the church. They gave generously to the church. And there was no one that had any need. And then along came Ananias and Sapphira, this couple that sold this piece of land. And like everyone else, they said that they brought all of the proceeds and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter challenged them and said, is that really everything that you sold it for? And they both said yes. And in doing that, we found out that, that it isn't that God wants us to sell everything we have and give to him. It's that God expects us to be honest with him. And Peter said, you know what? How has Satan so gotten a hold of your heart? That you've gone and you've gone and lied to the Holy Spirit. And so what we realize is that even in the early church, there was people who wanted to be a part of it, but were still doing things for their own reasons. And so now we go on in verse 12, we say, what happens after that whole thing shook down? These, these people that said they were on board and they were a part of it, but they really weren't. Verse 12, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. The apostles were right back to where they had gotten in trouble. They were in the middle of the temple complex. They had been told, don't talk about Jesus, don't talk about salvation, don't talk about eternal life. Well, now they're right in the heart of everything, and that's exactly what they're doing. Solomon's portico is this big open area along the eastern wall of the temple complex. And that's where they were gathering. And they gathered there because that was where the faithful Jewish people conducted most of their life. Wherever they lived, that was where they came in. That was where their community happened. And so that was where they were. That was where they were doing signs and wonders. And so the first thing we realize, if you're taking notes, the first thing we realize here, signs and wonders are a regular occurrence in the church when the Holy Spirit is at work. Miracles are normal. They're not things that we have to explain away. They're not something that you say didn't happen. It happened 2,000 years ago. It doesn't happen today. I'm so sick of people saying that. Signs and wonders, miracles, things we can't understand and explain are normal in God's church when the Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of the people. That's the first thing that we understand here. Second thing is that even though there are people who have shown themselves not to be united, not to be a part of the one heart and, and soul of everyone else, see, God still hasn't walked away. God hasn't left them. God is still at work because Jesus still loves us, even in our sin, even when we lie, even when we do the things that we should not do. That is the whole point of Jesus' death on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. God still works even when we sin. See, the good news here is that God is going to accomplish the purpose that he sets out to accomplish. The church of Jesus will prevail. Jesus told his disciples that even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. People do all kinds of stuff to pick and, and tear at the church. But the church overall, the bride of Christ, is going to prevail. The proof in the text today is, even though Peter had called out Ananias and Sapphira and said, you gave part of your heart to Satan. And what we talked about last week is that our heart and our soul is the most precious real estate that we have. 
We have to guard those. We have to be careful of those. Satan can't just invade us without us giving him permission. When we open ourselves through sin, when we open ourselves looking at other religions and other ideas and turning from God, that gives Satan room to move into that real estate that's your heart and soul. And that's what had happened. And Peter called them out on that. Satan had gotten a hold of Ananias and Sapphira's heart. But here's the good news. Despite their sin, God still had a hold of his church. God's church was still prevailing. It was still growing. People were still being healed. Signs and wonders were still being done regularly. They were a commonplace occurrence. Miracles were normal. People got used to them. So much so that people started gathering up and bringing their friends and neighbors. Saying, this is just the way it works. That's what every day is like. Transformation is healing. And even if people weren't being physically healed, they were being transformed. They were being made new creations by the name of Jesus. Whether it's medical or mental or or, or emotional or physical or maybe it's addiction. Jesus addresses all of those things and he can heal human lives and transform human hearts. You and I, we can help, but God heals them. And so often when we try to help on our own outside of God, we end up hurting. But God heals people. God restores and God transforms. And miracles are one of the signs of the active power and presence of the Holy Spirit at work in the church. And this early church in Acts was seeing it every day. Miracles were normal. They should be expected when God is active. And so my first question is, when you come to church on a Sunday morning, what do you expect? What do you expect to to know of God, to meet God, to hear from God, to learn from God? Do you expect God to be active and alive? Or do you just think, oh, ho-hum, it's church, i got to go? Because you're going to get what you expect. You're going to get what you look for and what you're trying to find. See, if you come to church expecting to meet Jesus, you're going to meet him and see him at work among us. There's a huge picture in front of me. That's one of 33 lives that were transformed a few weeks ago in baptism. Got, yeah, woo is right, right? We had, yes, even from the young ones. I'll tell you something. It, you had a part of it if you invited one of those folks to, to be a part of, of the ministries here because they came from different parts of our Open Door Christian Church family. But we all got together in the water and 33 people gave their lives to Jesus and were baptized in His name. And you know what? It, it didn't have anything to do with you or me. It had everything to do with Jesus at work one life at a time. And so if there's anything that should encourage you this morning... Come to church expecting to meet Jesus, expecting him to be active, and then allow yourself to be willing to him transforming you, your heart, your soul, your mind. See, these early Christians, they couldn't stay quiet. They're right in the place that they were told not to be. They were saying, don't talk about Jesus and and just stop this ridiculousness about about heaven and and a life ever after. There's no salvation in the name of anybody. That's what the Sadducees told them. You've got to be quiet. Don't talk about that. They couldn't help it because Jesus was so real to them. They couldn't help but talk about him. They knew he was real. They loved to talk about him. He was so real to them that they risked being embarrassed in front of their friends and co-workers and family just to be able to talk about him. So what about you? Have you met Jesus in such a way that you can't be quiet? 
Has Jesus become so real to you that even the person that you know is going to make fun of you, you love enough to want them to meet Jesus too? That was how this early church grew. They didn't grow. We don't get names of people. We don't, we don't know for the most part who any of the folks who were there, but by the hundreds, by the thousands, they're coming because the people can't stop talking about this man named Jesus. So what about you? What is your Jesus story? What is your, what is your story of Jesus at work in your life? See, that's called your testimony. And your testimony is very simply three parts. Who you were before you met Jesus. How you met Jesus. Maybe who introduced you or where you met him. How he became real to you. And then who you are since meeting Jesus. That's your testimony. And wherever you are on the scale, maybe you're over here and you say, this is my life before Jesus. That's my story. I don't know him yet. Maybe your story changed dramatically on Baptism Sunday and Jesus became so real to you that you were willing to go out into the water in front of a bunch of people you don't know and let a couple of guys dunk you and hope you pulled you back out again. And your life was changed forever because Jesus now began to work in you a new creation. And now you know salvation in his name and your testimony just got bigger. Maybe you've been living with him for a while. Maybe you've known that. And your story has to do with some examples of how he's been at work in your life, whatever it is. That is your story. That's your testimony. What has he done for you? What has he done in you? How has he transformed you? There's people out there that are literally dying without a relationship with him that are waiting for you to come and tell them who he is to you. See, it's ordinary people like you and I. The church doesn't grow because I stand up here and put time into getting a message ready on Sunday. It doesn't. What grows is your knowledge. What grows is your understanding of Scripture and and how it is that Jesus might be at work in the world around you. But the church doesn't grow because of a sermon. The church grows because people like you go out and talk to people about Jesus. That's how the Christian church grows. It's been that way since the very beginning in the book of Acts. And we see people coming to faith by the thousands. Because people can't be quiet. See, God, God created the Christian church to grow one person at a time by invitation. Yeah, Jesus is real and I found a church where I learn about him. You ought to come and check it out. That's how the Christian church grows. See, when, you, when God places his name on something, nothing on earth can stop that thing from succeeding. Years ago, uh, one of the guys who's our elder now said, uh, one of our elders, he said, you know, one of the reasons we chose this church was because God had placed his name here. And we wanted to be where God had placed his name. It wasn't because of the preaching or the worship or, or any of that stuff. It was because he knew, he, he could sense in the spirit that God had placed his name here. See, the things in the, in the world that God places his name upon, the people, the world can't stop it. Satan tried to stop this early church by getting Ananias and Sapphira to sin. It didn't stop the church. In fact, it made it grow. When God places his name on a human life, when God places his name by transformation through baptism and belief on a human being, nothing can stop them from becoming who God called them and created them to be. And so what is our job as a church is to faithfully preach, to be obedient to the things that God says that we're to talk about and to talk about salvation in the name of Jesus. Exactly the message in the book of Acts. We can and we should and we will continue to do that very same thing about uh, at the open door. It's all about obedience. And it's all about being willing to continue to talk about the truth of God's word. And how does that affect 
and change human lives. Verse 13, none of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women. See, human lives were being transformed in the name of Jesus, and there were some people that didn't even want to get close. They didn't understand it. It it scared them. Maybe they were too deeply rooted in the Jewish tradition to change. And we see a lot of that in our world today. Well, I really like what's going on over there, but I've been here forever, and I don't want to leave. Acts addresses that. That some lives were transformed, but some people just simply wouldn't join them. But as we read it as a whole, what's happening is almost like a daily Billy Graham crusade. It's all these people that are coming to meet Jesus. If you ever saw one of the old, if you're ever at one of the old Billy Graham crusades, if you've ever seen one, Billy Graham was this phenomenal preacher. He preached the same sermon every time. And afterwards, he invited people to come forward to accept Jesus as their Savior. And it was like the stadium seats emptied and people came forward. But the thing that's really cool is that what Billy Graham always made sure to do is that there was an individual person to pray with everyone that came down. I was a part of those teams a couple of times. Because what Billy Graham knew is that thousands of people came forward, but Jesus saved them one at a time, one at a time. Jesus saves you and I one at a time. And it seems like it's big numbers that we should be impressed with, but, you know, it isn't the big numbers. It's the fact that people are being saved one at a time. And there's a, there's a little detail here I want to touch on. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord multitudes of men and women. They just kept growing. But Luke includes something that we can't miss. The numbers continued to grow, men and women. You've heard me preach on this before, and and we've talked about it a lot. In the Bible, in in the Jewish tradition, in the Jewish culture, women didn't hold the same place in the world as men. Ladies, I'm sorry about that. I didn't make the decision. We're trying to change that in this world, right? Women didn't have the same place as men did, and so most often they weren't counted in the numbers. So when there was the feeding of the 5,000, it was 5,000 men. When someone was saved, they talk about that man and his whole household. When Jesus fed the 4,000, he fed 4,000 men. But we know there was women and children there. Luke is really clear here to say the numbers being added, the multitudes of both men and women. He's saying that that Jesus saves us one at a time, not just men, but Jesus saves all of us, men and women. And that's a pretty awesome thing to read in the midst of the New Testament, that the women come to faith right alongside the men. Verse 15, so they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least a shadow might fall on some of them. Peter's anointing in the Holy Spirit, that's the word we use, right? The power of Holy, the Holy Spirit at work in Peter was so strong that his shadow alone was enough that people were healed. I don't know that I've ever met anybody like that in my life. But I'm not sure there's ever been another Peter at this point of his life either. But the thing is, people knew what was going to happen. And so they brought their friends out, just like the man that was laid on the mat outside the beautiful gate. They brought them out to be healed. So let me ask you a question. What are we doing as a church? What am I doing as an individual? What are you doing as a person, a believer in Jesus as your Savior? What are you doing that requires the Holy Spirit in order to be successful? Because here's the thing. We live in a world that prides determination, hard work, will, stick-to-itiveness, come up with an idea, go get it done. It doesn't require God. But for something great to happen in the kingdom of God, it can't be done without God. 
It can't be done outside the, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So what are you doing? What are we doing as a church? And I ask this all the time. The elders hear me ask this in a lot of different ways. What are we doing that can't be done with a good business plan? What are we doing that can't be done with a good idea and the right people? What are we doing that can't be done just with enough money? Because none of those things matter if we don't have God at work through the Holy Spirit in the middle of all of it. See, that's the difference between believing in the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to work and fill you, to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's one thing to say, I believe. It's something else to say, you know what, I live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't mean that things are going to get crazy in your world. It means that that transformation that Jesus begins when we're saved begins to become more complete. See, lots of people believe in the Holy Spirit. But not all believers live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as a church, as, a, as the senior pastor of this place, I want to make sure, it's why we pray this at the start of every service, I want you to know that we know that nothing good for the kingdom of God can happen in this place through any one of us or through us as a church outside of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and outside of the blessing of the hand of God on it. Yeah, maybe God placed his name on this place. That's great. But then there's more that we've got to do. And one of those things is to realize that without the power of the Holy Spirit at work, all of our best intentions are going to fall short. Verse 16, the people gathered from the towns. Get a load of this and just think about where we are and where you came from this morning. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This is so cool because in, in this day, things happen very much in family units and in little village units. The idea that the church was growing as it scattered throughout the countryside and people brought them to the temple in Jerusalem. For most of these folks, it would be the first time they ever made the trip. And yet here they are bringing people because the power of the Holy Spirit is at work. And they're coming maybe because they want to see signs and wonders, maybe because they want to be healed. But you know what? They're coming and they're meeting Jesus. I grew up in my, my ministry training days while I was at the seminary. And there's this thing called seeker-sensitive worship. And seeker-sensitive worship was what a lot of the churches that grew really fast, really big focused on. They did two things, seeker-sensitive worship and felt-needs preaching. If you don't know those, I'm really happy. You don't have to go study them. I'll explain them as much as you need to know. Seeker-sensitive worship and felt-needs preaching said, we are going to keep in mind non-believers and we're going we're to make the whole worship service something that doesn't, someone who doesn't believe is going to be able to be okay with. We don't want to offend them. And then felt-needs preaching is, we're going to talk about the stuff that people are dealing with in life and you know, we're going to make those emotional connections and, and we're going to make the real-life connections so that you understand that we understand and, and we're going to address the needs that you're facing. But often what happened was, the Holy Spirit was left out of it and the Bible was forgotten. But churches grew quickly because it was a formula to grow quickly. Ten and a half years ago when we started this place, I talked to the first elders and I said, we're not going to do that. I understand it. I, 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 could, I could stamp out the plan. But we're not going to do that. Here's why. Because we're going to teach the Bible. And my guess is that if we grow at all, we're going to grow really slow. We're going to go slow because teaching and learning the Bible as God presents it to us is a lot of work and it's not for everybody. But the thing is, there's a difference between addressing felt needs and addressing what we need to hear. See, as a preacher, I don't want to listen to somebody who tells me what I want to hear. 
It might feel good. It might make me feel better. And the whole felt needs thing, right? Here's what I'm looking for as a preacher. I'm looking for someone to tell me what God wants me to hear. What is it that God says you need to hear? Open up the word and, and say, this is what God says I need to hear. That's what I want. Not just what my, my easy, tickle my ear soul wants to hear. Telling me what I want to hear might feel good for a moment. It might carry me into Monday morning. But it isn't going to grow me in faith. It isn't going to grow me as a person. It certainly isn't going to grow me as a disciple of Jesus. Telling what we need to hear is talking about what God says to us in the Bible. And telling that truth is what we're committed to every single week here. But here's the thing. When we actually preach the Bible with what it says, sometimes it's offensive. Sometimes we don't like to hear what it is that God has to say. Which is why you don't hear me say, I think, or I believe, or I think what we should do. That, that's not the way that we preach around here. We stick to what the Bible says. Because here's the deal. Every once in a while you'll hear me apologize, and i got to stop doing this, but I'll go, this message today might feel a little bit like you're going to get your toes stepped on. might feel like a sledgehammer one was a few weeks ago. Here's the thing. That's called conviction. When we're preaching from the Bible and we're telling what God needs us to hear and what we need to hear in our lives, and we feel like we're getting our toes stepped on or our stomach starts getting a little bit uncomfortable, it's called conviction. Congratulations, that's a good thing. That's the Holy Spirit at work. The Holy Spirit is causing your ears to hear what God is really saying, and that feeling in your stomach that says, I don't like Him talking to me, that's conviction. And what I've learned about conviction is conviction is us getting a glimpse of what God sees in us. That's why it's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good, and I don't want to hear it because what I'm getting a glimpse of, of what God really sees that's inside of me. Conviction isn't fun. But outside of the Holy Spirit, it's never going to happen, and we're never going to grow in faith. So these people are being changed by the Holy Spirit. They're, they're afflicted with unclean spirits. They're being healed. There's amazing stuff that's going on. Go back to the passage a few weeks ago. These guys brought this lame man and laid him on a mat and set him outside the beautiful gate outside the temple. And he was begging for alms because that's all he could do. He'd been doing it for 40 years. It says the bones of his legs were actually not even formed properly. And so Peter and John, these two apostles, just as this whole movement is about to happen, Peter and John walk by and, and he begs from them like he does from everybody else. But they do something different. They stop and make eye contact with him. They actually looked at the man. And Peter says, we don't have any silver or gold. We, we, don't, we don't have any money at all, but, but what we do have we'll give you. And what they gave him was Jesus. What he wanted was money because he thought money would change his life. But what he needed, what he needed was healing. He didn't even know to ask for it. What he needed was transformation in the name of Jesus. And these thousands of people that are coming to faith in the book of Acts maybe want to be healed, but what they need is for Jesus to become real. And the church is growing by leaps and bounds because Jesus is meeting them and saving them and transforming their lives one person at a time. What does Jesus do? He gives us the one thing that we cannot buy with money. Jesus gives us forgiveness of our sins and salvation in his name. And we can't buy that. There's, there's nothing you can do to earn it. It is a free gift. But so often, it isn't what we want. And so my question for you here then is, what do you need? 
What is it that you need this morning? What did you come to church? Maybe in the back of your mind, you said, I'm going to give church a chance. I haven't done it for 15 years. I haven't been to church in 21 years. I gave up church three years ago. Here you are this morning, and in your mind, you had something that said, you know, if only they do. If only they be. If only they will say. What do you need? Because when you come to church expecting God to provide something, God is going to do it. So what do you need this morning? Do you need healing? Maybe maybe it's a medical diagnosis. Maybe it's an emotional thing. Maybe it's your, your brain just isn't working the way that you, you want and, and you need it to work. Maybe it's you're caught up in a pattern of sin that you don't know how to turn from. And it's gotten to the point where all that you do is stuff it away and hide it because you don't want anybody to know about it. Maybe what it is for you is what started out as just an occasional habit has turned into an addiction you can't get away from. You can't outrun it. You cannot set yourself free. What do you need this morning? See, when we come to church saying, Jesus, this is what I need from you. I I got no other option. I got no other choice. This is what I need, Jesus. Jesus has this incredible track record of showing up right where we need him. He maybe doesn't answer those silly prayers that we ask about what we want. But he has a great reputation for giving us what we need. So what would it be like to be a church today, right here in West Central Minnesota, where people came from miles around because they knew they'd meet Jesus? They knew that the people were there for the same reason. Not perfect people, not sinless people, not flawless people. People just like them who were trying hard and still making mistakes and were still sinning. What would be if we became that kind of church that when people gathered, they knew that they'd meet Jesus? Because that kind of a church, nothing on earth could stop. That's why we're here. That's the kind of church that we set out ten and a half years to be. Not a church for perfect people. A church for people who wanted to serve a perfect Savior. That's the kind of church that we want to be. At the end of the day, despite who we might prove ourselves to be, we want to be that kind of Christians. We might mess it up along the way. We might show people that we are anything but. But we want to be that kind of Christians. And, And the thing is, it doesn't begin with big numbers. I've said this before. I can, I can work all week long on a message, and I can preach it, and it does whatever it does, and, and, and that's great. God's in charge of that. But when you walk out of here, if there's something that you grab onto, some bit of Jesus became real to you, do you realize how many people you can share that with in a week? Do you realize how many people are introduced to a transformed you throughout the course of a single day? Where is the power in the local church? The power is in the one at a time that Jesus saves. The one at a time that steps forward and says, Jesus, I'm willing. I'm yours. Grab a hold of me. Do with me what you will. I've done life on my terms and all I've done is mess it up. Jesus, I'm yours. It begins with one person. It begins with you and me. The church in that book of Acts that we're a part of, We're here today because individual people, one at a time, went and told their friends and family. They told the people they worked with. They didn't care if they got made fun of. Jesus was too real not to talk about. So as you're sitting here today, have you accepted that free gift of salvation in Jesus, the one that got them in all this trouble 2,000 years ago? Have you said, Jesus, I'm, I'm I'm tired of doing it on my own. I need you. I recognize that I'm a sinner. My, my, my sin and my guilt keeps me awake. I want to give it all to you and I want to be forgiven. If you've done that, have you been changed because of it? Have you told people about it? Do you live like you've been changed? Because maybe what you've done is you've given Jesus a little bit of yourself, but you've held on the better part for yourself, and so you've kind of 
gotten close, but you haven't gone all the way. Maybe today is the day to accept Jesus all the way. Maybe it's your day to come back because you and Jesus got along really well for a while and then you kind of had some things that disappointed you or maybe the church or someone in the church disappointed you. I'm sorry about that. We try not to, but it happens all the time because we're people. Maybe today is your day to come back and say, Jesus, I need to forgive them because I need more of you. Maybe today is your day to come back to Jesus after having spent time away. Maybe you're one of those people that say, I've already been saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus. But maybe it's time for you to turn your story into a testimony. To start telling other people about him. And so who and what is the story that you'll tell? Who will you talk to? What will you tell them? What is the Jesus that's become real about you that you'll come into a place on a Sunday morning with a bunch of people you haven't met yet and just simply hear more about him? What is the story that you need to tell? That is your testimony. It's your transformation story. It's the story of the new you and Jesus. It's the story of all of us, one at a time, who go through this. That Jesus becomes so real that we're willing to start over. But not on our terms, on his. What is your testimony? What is your Jesus story? Maybe you're not there. Maybe God is doing that conviction thing and you know that this is your day. Good news, we're going to pray about that in a moment. Maybe if the truth be told, you need to clean up some stuff in your life and come back to Jesus because you've lost your first love. Whatever that is, Jesus loves you. And the church grows because one person at a time, one person just like you, is willing to be be obedient and tell somebody else, hey, this Jesus guy, he's the real deal. Let me tell you what he did for me. Let's pray. God, thank you for this passage in Acts. Thank you for Luke, who did such a good job recording these events of history, of your story at work among us. God, we just can't, we can't go past this whole idea of accepting you, of believing you, of putting our faith and hope and trust in you. And so, God, if people here this morning, maybe your Holy Spirit is convicting some of us in the room. I'm not going to ask anybody to stand or come forward. But we got people in the back that would love to pray with them after the service. God, you know that. Every week we do. So God, for anybody who's sitting here, anybody who's online right now that just says, it's time for me to stop trying my own way. I've got to stop trying to carry this bag of rocks up this hill. God, for all those people that are ready to give their lives to Jesus, to surrender on their own terms and to take you up on yours, and your terms are so easy, believe in Jesus and accept his free gift of salvation for the forgiveness of sins. God, for all those people, I just pray that that your Holy Spirit would move in their heart right now, that the prayer would be just as simple as this, that, Jesus, I love you. I recognize that you're real. I know that I'm a sinner, and I want my sins to be forgiven by you. Thank you for dying on the cross. God, thank you for raising Jesus from the grave, that he might have new life so that I might have new life. God, maybe it's people who who have been believers for a while and have just walked away and we need to get back to our first love. We need to get back to the Jesus that we first fell in love with. God, in your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make that happen in us as well, that we would have a passion that this early church in Acts had that just can't be explained. It can't be contained. Jesus is too real to be quiet about. Make us that kind of Christian, Jesus. Make us the kind of people who are willing to be embarrassed by our friends because we believe in and love you. Help us to just put everything that we have on the line in your name because you, had every, you put everything that you had on the line for us when you gave Jesus to die for our sins. 
It's in his name that we pray. Amen.